I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Well, it's the week after Easter. Are you feeling resurrected? I had too many eggs. (laughs) Okay. I get that. Reese's eggs. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily felt dead. But I do like the Easter season. It's great. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, that that's okay. Because I have a question for you. Okay. Thank goodness. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to give away your microwave or give away your toaster? Okay. Clarifying question. Okay. Is this my microwave or toaster? Yes. Or did you have something in mind? No, this is this is your own personal microwave or toaster that you use regularly. Okay. See, I would probably have to go with toaster. Only because, though, I don't have a toaster oven. I've just got a regular two-slice toaster. If I had a toaster oven, I would probably give away the microwave, if I'm being honest. Because I love toaster ovens. I need a toaster oven. Yeah, I just... Microwave has just so many more purposes. And I'm like... I thought about it. I think I said that to Abby once. I was like, we don't use the microwave that much. Why do we even have it? She's like, are you kidding me? We use it literally every day. And then I thought about it and paid attention to it. And she was absolutely right. <laughs> if it's a just like the two-slice toaster that we have, it's a nice toaster if you're looking for one. I'll give it to you if you want this toaster. <laughs> if I'm just if I'm just between that though, I'm going micro I'm keeping my microwave. Okay. But I would keep a toaster oven if I had it. We're on the same page cuz we have a toaster okay. oven at our house. So you would keep and your I toaster would keep oven it and give the microwave away because I I think you can heat almost everything in the toaster oven that you can heat in the microwave. Not quite mm-hmm. everything, but almost, but generally I think it heats better. Right. It might take a little longer. But, but your rubber bagel bites aren't going to be boiling in the middle and soft and frozen on the outside. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They'll be cooked evenly. And like you reheat pizza. Which is the most important thing. <laughs> you reheat pizza yeah. in the microwave and it's like this, this pizza is a shadow of its original glory. Yeah. Sometimes I would rather eat cold pizza. This could be another question. I would rather eat cold pizza... Than eat microwaved pizza most of the time, most of the I would time say. Too. Now I want pizza and a toaster oven. <laughs> Man. That's good. <laughs> While we're on the theme of wanting things, let's read our text for... Oh yeah, this should, this should help us feel real guilty about ourselves. Great. Okay. 
This is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35 from the Amplified Bible. Now, the company of believers was of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was exclusively his own. But everything was common property and for the use of all. And with great ability and power, the apostles were continuously testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace, which is God's remarkable loving kindness and favor and goodwill, rested richly upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds of the sales and placing the money down at the apostles' feet. Then it was distributed to each as anyone had need. All right, so Amplified Bible, I did know enough to know that that didn't just mean I needed to yell it, make it louder. But why don't you tell us why you chose that for our passage this week? Sure. You could have yelled through this, I think. This is like No one wants that. <laughs> oh, that's fair. But the Amplified Bible is a is a relatively new translation. So it's published just in 2015. And it has like little brackets with with kind of additional information in it that's meant to amplify your experience mm. of reading the text. So it's it has these these little bits that are in line with the text that are just supposed to help you as we go. Just so our, our listeners know, its description of grace as God's remarkable loving kindness and favor and goodwill, that's in the brackets that are right. that are meant to explain grace. That's not just part of the Acts text. So I thought it was it was something new that we haven't done before. And I think some of its parenthetical information is helpful sometimes yeah i also like how it it has like italicized words too which it just allows you to kind of engage what they're putting forward a little more deeply i'm seeing too that it is from 2015 which is when we were in college does it make you sad to know that we're just as close to the year 2027 as we are to the year 2015 (laughs) whoa it's coming Time doesn't stop. 2015, though, that was... (laughs) 2015 was the year we started our radio show, though. That's true. That was a good year. It was. Okay, before we start, let me me ask you just a general question about this text. Mm -hmm. Do you think that most people are familiar with this? Most people... Most, most Christians. Okay, good question. I was thinking of like most Christians who haven't been to seminary. Mm, okay. I would say maybe. I feel like this passage, and there's a similar one in Acts chapter 2, often come up when talking about the church in some way, or the early church especially, how they related to one another. I wavered on this question too, because I thought... yeah. Okay, some people may have heard this when you think about how the church responds economically. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought maybe people just aren't very familiar with Acts. So maybe some people haven't heard this before. With that, what did you notice while we were reading? 
Well, first off, in that first verse, I was having a hard time not thinking about the song Heart and Soul on the piano, which is one of the few songs that Abby and I can play together on the piano, which is very fun. But besides that, I love this passage. I love the ideas at play and realize that with the scale to which the church has grown, implementing something similar would be very, very challenging. <laughs> I think that's I think that's what stands out to me. It's like that's great when your community's like re- reasonably small and localized. <laughs> but so many of our Christian communities and faith communities are not that way anymore. You know, people don't necessarily live in the same place or neighborhood, especially these days when they're connecting with a community of faith. Yeah, it really feels kind of aspirational. Doesn't right. it like like, what a nice picture of what the early church is like. Good for them. <laughs> One thing that I've been thinking about, I think I'm on I'm on the same path, is I think about this story as relating to the early church. So I would associate it with Pentecost. But we get this story in, as the second week in Easter. Hmm. Maybe... I JK, I like have that in the back of my head. I think that's interesting. If I was m- making the revised common lectionary, <laughs> I would not have put it where the editors did. Right. Well, I mean, we do have a number of weeks for Easter. Six weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And there's only so many like last <laughs> chapters of the Gospels, and the Pen- and Pentecost happens in the second chapter of Acts, so. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, in the narrative of the text, that makes sense. But it also speaks to, like, the core the core connecting point of the community, what motivated them to share everything, to sell what they had and give it to those who had need, was this testifying to Jesus' resurrection. Like, that's the action that united them together. And so in that sense, that this makes sense as an Easter story, because it's describing the foundation on which this early community was built. I've been thinking about that the same way. That they're doing all all of these things, right? That they all have one heart and soul. That they're giving all their their possessions kind of into this communal pot. And then distributing them as people have need. And they're doing it not because it's a requirement to like enter this community, but they're doing it because of the life changing reality of Jesus resurrection and God's great grace. I feel like we're moving it. Right. I feel like we're already moving into what's the point, but (laughs) yeah, I mean on that really quickly before we go there, definitely, it's just, it's so interesting to me that these are the actions that immediately follow. Oh, well we're a resurrection people. So that means this is how we're going to live and relate to it one another. It's not about like arguing about theology, not yet at least, that happens later in yeah. Acts. But it's about yeah. being together, it's about holding the community in higher esteem than you hold yourself and considering yourself a whole part of that community. It's about ensuring that no neighbor had any need. And 
The fact that there was also a community that included folks who had land and houses to sell and people who had deep need for maybe their basic necessities. Such a truly diverse community, socioeconomically and otherwise, is pretty striking. Yeah, that's true. The people who own land and houses at this time is a very small percentage of the entire population. So to have these people who are joining this early Jesus following movement is is like quite a testament to mm-hmm. to this group of people. One one commentator that I read suggested that at the beginning of Acts there's a lot of people are joining the early church. Like we get these stories and it'll say like 3000 people joined, you know, 2000. Right. And the the commentator wondered if some of that I mean it's certainly th- theologically motivated but if some of it also isn't economically motivated that they saw this happening in and among the community they thought i want to be a part of that i I like those people that's amazing and that was at least like part of the impetus to join this community yeah and it is interesting over the course of the book of acts to see how what we label as the church kind of goes through the stages of a startup too. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's like there are these early stages where they're kind of growing beyond their their capacity to organize and then slowly and slowly they add the things in place that make it a little bit more and more institutional, just a little bit in this in acts at least. But you think about how that progresses and how they develop leadership structure and new roles that they're bringing in for folks for leadership as well where they started as 11 guys on the side of a mountain just being like what do we do now (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like it sounds like a a startup story straight out of silicon valley it does and there's like a honeymoon period right right? like at the beginning like everybody's getting along and then there's like there's some splits later, right? Like they have a disagreement mm-hmm. about what the vision is, what what this institution's supposed to be doing and what, what its function is. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as perfect as it looks in at least in this little story. Mm. And I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wager a guess that Luke knows this because this section ends chapter four but right after this in chapter five ananias and his wife sapphira you might know the story sell their fields and their possessions and they try and keep some of it back right they Mm -hmm. they decide like nah we're not putting in we're not putting everything in the pot we don't want to do that it doesn't end well for them (laughs) well it was a nice euphemism for god striking them dead so yeah yeah Yeah. it's not as it's not as clean and there's not as much heart and soul going on (laughs) at that point exactly that is a really strange juxtaposition yeah it is i think it's part of luke's narrative that he knows that this isn't this community isn't perfect that doesn't mean that people should stop doing what they've been doing, right? By giving giving their microwaves away or selling them. Yeah. I've been thinking recently about, like, what do I have, 
What do I own that I wouldn't lend out to other people? What if, if somebody was like, hey, can I borrow that? Would I have to really think about it? Or would I want to say no? Hmm. Like, my gut reaction would just be like, no, no, that, that's mine. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of, if not most of my stuff. Yeah, same. That's what. <laughs> same. Yeah. I don't know. Keep thinking. I keep coming back to that. Like, is that one of the ways that we can tell how much our possessions mean to us by what mm. we would be willing to lend to other people? Right. Like, for me, the top of my list of things that I would not lend to other people are my glasses, which is convenient because they're also probably not very helpful to anyone else. <laughs> but, but otherwise, I'm trying to get to the point where I, I would be more comfortable lending people stuff is there do you have anything that you definitely would not want to lend what would you hold back what would be your your ananias and sapphira like hidden? everything i'm thinking of is like electronic in some way i know I like my that computer be... my phone oh no we have such personal we do so much with them yeah exactly. <laughs> like i don't know if i can go without that there's probably a problem i guess for me the question is is this text prescriptive of what the church is supposed to be or is it descriptive of what the early church was because mm-hmm. i think oftentimes even throughout the hebrew bible that distinction is helpful for understanding what's describing how our community should be for all time versus how is this community at this particular time operating and i want to be careful to not jump to that conclusion too quickly because i just i don't want to go to that conclusion because I don't want to give up my iPhone. I think that's still just a pressing question for me because we have countless people who give a lot to the church, but don't give everything to the church Mm -hmm. or might not give anything to the church at all. And God doesn't strike them dead. You know, like there's something, thank goodness there's this story here with that connection. And so often we uphold this standard literally into a T without considering all the implications that are even right around this passage in acts. And that, that dynamic makes me think, okay, what is the core message here that should apply to our communities today? Even if it's not following these verses to the letter in terms of how we're supposed to relate to one another. Okay. What do you think? I'm kidding. I asked the question. That means you have to answer it. (laughs) I know. I was just kidding. Just like we talked about a little bit at the beginning, that I think it's clear to Luke when he writes this narrative that, like, this is aspirational. Like, this is this is a great picture of what the early church looks like. But even he tells a story right after about it not working Mm. precisely this way. Right. I think it's also worth saying that whatever the level of generosity is required of us as Christians, it is likely at least one step farther than we're comfortable going on our own. Yes. I think that's, that's a good note for this point. Like, I don't think I can 
reasonably or fairly extract an interpretation of this passage that totally justifies exactly how I live my life and spend my money and use my time and use my resources because this passage shows us that there is something very significant demanded and expected of people who claim to follow Jesus, of people who testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And I would like to hope that I'm pushing myself in terms of my generosity, but I always think that God is asking just a little bit more than we're comfortable with. Yeah. Like stretch and that's not, stretching us just a little bit. Yeah, and not done in a way that's like, oh, you're not enough unless you give a little more or give a little No, it's like like the joy of generosity is so expansive and can increase exponentially. And I think moving in that direction is what it, the opportunity is. It's not it's not a set measure. It's not saying, well, if you sold your house or your land and given all the money to the church, then you've done it. Because I'm sure there are people who have done that and have still been arrogant, selfish, and destructive to the communities they've been a part of. <laughs> yeah. So taken within the whole of our growth in the love of God and love of our neighbor, the ongoing journey of generosity, it feels like one of those spaces that, especially in our day and age, challenges some of our core sensibilities about what it means to be secure what it means to progress in the world, what it means to move up the ladder, so to speak. And those challenges really kind of open up some core and vulnerable things about who we are and what we value. What I think might be prescriptive about this story is not what some people have called Christian communism, but that it's always a response Right to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's great grace. Like that, that I think that we respond generously. Yeah. That's, that's prescriptive. But the exact ways that it manifests itself, right? Especially like by giving away absolutely everything. I don't think that part is prescriptive. Yeah. But, exactly. It goes back to what we were talking about before that being part of a community that testifies to Jesus's resurrection apparently inherently means working to provide for those who have need. Mm -hmm. There's no context given to that here. It's a logical connection that apparently needs no additional explanation. So I'm right there with you. The nuts and bolts of it, the specifics, probably a little more contextual, but here, it's clear that generosity in community are an expectation of what it means to be the people of God. Well, I'm glad I don't have to give away my glasses. I'm glad too. I don't know. I don't know how you do. I mean, I know I need my glasses, like, but I know your prescription takes it to a new level, <laughs> and so I'm glad you can keep them. Yeah, be, be a disaster. I feel like if you had to give them away, you would then be in need of someone to give you glasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's accurate. I think we need to pray about being a little more generous and being this type of community 
And also pray that you don't have to give away your glasses. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good prayer. Let's pray. Giving God. In Jesus Christ, you give everything you have to and for us. Your breath, your battered body, and even your clothes. Make us respond to your resurrection in kind by giving what is ours to and for our neighbors. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Seth, next week, we're going to take a surprising Easter jump back to the Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 4. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. <laughs>